The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If it's the weekend, it's time to have fun with your pet. But when it comes to technology, apps, and what's hot, you don't want to waste money or waste your or your pet's time. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. In today's show, Lorian and her guests will keep you in the know to keep your pet happy as well as you and your family. Now here's your host, Lorian Clemens. Welcome to Pet Lover Geek, my fellow pet parents. I hope you are having a fabulous Saturday thus far. I'm so excited you joined us for today's show. Our topic for the day is the science of pet food, specifically dog food. You know, for many pet parents, what we choose to feed our dogs is a really personal, even emotional thing. And I've seen more passionate discussions and downright arguments on social media about the choices of pet food than anything else, except for maybe our most recent election, frankly. And you know me, I I am a passionate gal, but I'm really passionate about the science behind things. So today, I want to dig in and explore the studies behind pet food. I want to look at the science that's there, that veterinary science that tells us why we are feeding our dogs what we're feeding. So that when we get to that pet food aisle, we have a little bit of an idea what we're looking at. But before we get into that, I want to go back in time just a little bit. I want to talk about how we got started with this whole idea of commercial pet food. So back in the 1850s, this dude from Cincinnati named James Spratt was in London selling lightning rods, of all things. And he came up with an idea how to make money. He decided that he was going to take the stuff that's called you know, hard tack. It's these biscuits that are used by sailors. It's essentially like flour and water and salt. And he decided to turn these into a dog biscuit to make money off of the really quickly growing market of urban dog owners. So in 1860, he launched what's called Spratt's Patent Meal Fibrine Dog Cakes. And the pet food industry was born. Now, skip forward to today. It's more than just dog cakes. It's more than just biscuits, as we all know. That pet food industry this year in the United States is on track to make $24 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars in the U.S. alone. And that accounts for more than a third of the money that is going to be spent on our pets this year. It's incredible. And when I went to look just today on dogfoodadvisor.com, there were over 700 main entries for dog foods. And each of those entries had anywhere from four to dozens of sub-entries of styles and flavors and stuff. I mean, there are so many choices and so many options nowadays, and there's a ton of really heavy-hitting marketing out there. It can be downright overwhelming. So to help us navigate the dog food aisle, 
And to also help us navigate the wilds of internet opinion about pet feeding, I've invited noted veterinary nutritionist Lisa Weath to the show. And by the way, you can check out her terrific website. It's called Weath Nutrition. That's W-E-E-T-H nutrition.com. I'll make sure that that link is on our Facebook page and our website later today to, to hear all about the incredible stuff that she has to share with pet parents. Dr. Weath, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, as I mentioned, the pet food aisle can be really confusing. I remember when I was a kid, there were maybe a handful, two, three, four brands at best that were out there at the grocery store. And you just basically had to choose from puppy food or adult dog food. And now mm-hmm. the choices are overwhelming. I mean, where does one even begin to know where to start? You've got premium and complete and balanced and grain-free and natural and a whole slew of other marketing terms. And I want to know, when I'm looking at this really cool-looking bag that I'm pulling off the shelf, is it really meeting my dog's nutritional needs? How do I know? Well, you know, the one thing I would say is that, you know, we've come a long way since Spratt's Biscuits and since the early dog food industry and and pet food industry. And, And at the time that those Spratt's Biscuits were developed, the, the field of nutrition was just in its infancy. So people didn't even understand basic nutrient requirements for humans, let alone dogs, cats, horses, pigs, and, and you know, all the other animal species that we keep and, and feed on a regular basis. So the, the idea of having one fixed formula that meets everyone's needs was a, a novel concept for our current society, basically. And the early dog foods, there was a lot of gaps and there are a lot of deficiencies and the industry as a whole has progressed as the field of nutrition has expanded and as we we understand what the amino acid requirements are and the vitamin and mineral requirements are for dogs in general and there's a lot that we're still discovering we're learning the the field of nutrition is learning uh, you know, we're understanding the role of fiber in diets and probiotics and prebiotics and some of the phytonutrients that come in from fresh fruits and vegetables and that is still, you know, so the field is still developing. But the one thing we do know is what the basic requirements are for dogs. And that's been known since about the 1980s. So I would say anything you find on the shelf that's labeled as a complete and balanced food for whatever life stage, puppy or adult dog, is meeting all of the basic nutrient requirements for the dog. Puppies have higher energy requirements and higher requirements for things like protein and certain vitamins and minerals. And so a puppy diet is going to be balanced and designed to be fed to a growing puppy. You can feed it to an adult if you want to. It's just more a healthy adult. It's just more nutrients than they absolutely need. Um, And it typically carries a, a slightly higher price tag as well because of those added nutrients. So anything that you find on the, on the counter, whether you buy it at a pet store or a specialty boutique or at the grocery store, is going to meet all of the basic nutrient needs. Now, premium is a marketing term purely. It means absolutely nothing in terms of the quality of food. A lot of people want to uh, you know, have it apply to a specific um, quality of ingredient or quality of finished product, but really premium from a marketing standpoint just means something that costs 20% over the market average. So when you see the words premium on a, pra- on a package, you automatically as a consumer, as a pet, owning, pet owner who's looking at the shelves, if it says premium, you're paying for the package. 
really. Um, <laughs> unfortunately. <to> <laughs> um, so premium, premium doesn't have any regulatory or any enforcement. It's just a marketing term. Um, there are a lot of good foods that are labeled as premium, and there are a lot of good foods that don't aren't labeled as premium. So, you know, it's so that's that's all marketing. Complete imbalance is what you're looking for. When you look at things like grain-free or high-protein, um, a lot of that is marketing terms as well. If it says complete imbalance, it means it has all of the vitamins and minerals, amino acids, fatty acids, everything your dog needs. Now, when you're looking at it, so everything, if you're assuming everything is going to meet your animal's needs, the next question is, you know, it meets the average dog's needs, but does it meet my dog's needs? Mm-hmm. And and so there are individual dogs that do better with certain ingredients in or out of their diet. Um, I don't think grains are necessarily bad um, for dogs as a whole, just like grains aren't necessarily bad for people as a whole. And grains, whole grains especially, have a lot of fiber in them. And some dogs, especially larger breed dogs, need more fiber in their diet. Otherwise, they have recurrent and constant intestinal upsets, which make owners upset because they're cleaning up things that are harder to clean up. Mm-hmm. So, so fiber does have a role. And I, I mentioned earlier that we're just starting to scratch the surface on the the healthfulness of having things like fiber in the diet. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if an animal has an allergy or a sensitivity to an ingredient, I absolutely try to avoid it um, and will avoid it in my recommendations. But I don't. There's nothing that I would avoid necessarily for a healthy dog. So what, when you're when you're in the pet food aisle, then uh, what what are the key things for positive or negative that we should be looking for that'll kind of help us navigate and figure out you know, which one is right for my dog? Unless my vet specifically yeah. said use this. Yeah. So I mean, if you're if if you have uh, a veterinarian is recommending a particular formula, especially for animals that have medical medical issues. So if the animal has kidney disease or diabetes or a food allergy, then you absolutely want to follow what that veterinarian is recommending because those therapeutic diets or specific diets are designed to treat a medical condition. And, and so it's almost like I, I look at food in those situations as food is being used kind of like a, any other drug or therapy. It's being used to treat a condition. So we don't want to start changing things around too much. But if you have a healthy dog and you're looking at all of the different options, um, then some of, you know, a lot of it comes down to personal preference. Are you looking for, you know, are you trying to avoid uh, GMOs or, or do you feed, you want to feed organic to yourself, your family, including your four-legged family? Um, are you trying to, you know, I've had a client who was allergic to, who was allergic to tilapia. Mm-hmm. personally. So we had to avoid you know, diets, commercial foods, and this was a home-cooked diet uh, that included tilapia. And so if you have, if I have individual owners or other family members that have issues, then I may avoid certain foods. I had another case during my residency where the, the dog was allergic to chicken, um, but the cat was being fed a chicken-based diet and the dog would get into the cat food. So, well, then everyone gets the restricted diet in that situation. The cat didn't have a problem. The cat had to eat. Right, <laughs> had to exactly. eat venison too. Um, so then I look at what are the needs of the individual animal. Right. And you just mentioned something that is huge trend right now, the organic stuff and everything that it's, it's everywhere you see that. But the other trend that's out there that, I'm, that, I'm, that I personally am working with right now with my own dog with the help of my veterinarian is raw feeding. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Tell me about a parent who might be interested in exploring that. What, there, there's a lot out yeah, there about so, 
So there is, and and I think raw feeding and fresh food feeding has become more. I don't want to call it trendy or more popular, and and it's getting more um, visibility with pet owners. Um, the raw feeding started as, you know, kind of a little bit of, and I know you, one of your later guests is going to talk about raw feeds, and so I don't mean this to be offensive, but it's kind of this kooky fringe idea from about 20, 30 years ago. You know, most people didn't feed raw meat to their diets, and it was focused on a raw meaty bone profile. The, the concern I have with raw diets um, almost invariably comes down to the two things. Uh, I want to make sure that whatever is being fed to my patients and, and dogs and cats at home is complete and balanced. So it's meeting all of their nutrient needs. With adult animals, you can get away with a lot in terms of unbalanced diets. And it's not the, you know, the first week, the first month, even the first year of being on an unbalanced diet that's a problem. It's a few years down the road when something, you know, the animal gets injured or gets sick with something else and doesn't heal and doesn't recover well. So I'm thinking about diet in terms of the entire lifespan of this animal. I want to make sure they're getting all of their nutrient needs met. So if you take diet balance out of the equation, say absolutely you can make a raw a diet that's based on raw meat and other ingredients and make it complete and balanced so they meet all of the nutrient needs, well, that's, that's great. But I still have the concern about raw meat itself and pathogens, things like salmonella or campylobacter or E. coli. And there are ways that you can handle raw meat to decrease exposure for the animal, um, but the animal's not the only one who's being exposed to the raw meat. It's the people who are handling it. And and nothing is, it, when you're talking about truly raw products, nothing is 100% mm-hmm. safe. Right. And, right. and so then, then I look at, um, you know, for the individual animal with commercial dry kibble, so extruded diets, they are less digestible than a fresh food product. Mm-hmm. And the digestibility changes. So a fresh food product, if you feed a, a raw meat-based diet that has even if it has cooked grains and vegetables in it and is complete and balanced, it's probably about 90 to 95% digestible, meaning 90 to 95% of what you feed is getting absorbed by the animal and only 5 to 10% is coming out as poop, mm-hmm. which is what most owners are, are concerned about on a daily basis too. Right. Um, how, much, how much am I cleaning up you know, in the yard and hopefully not in the house? And then when you look at commercial dry foods, commercial dry foods are only about 80 percent digestible for an over-the-counter diet and even therapeutic diets that you buy from the veterinarian are only going up to about 85 and that's just has to do with the way the ingredients are handled and the way they're cooked together it just decreases the digestibility and digestibility just means how much poop is made right (laughs) so so when you're looking at you know comparing the two diets a fresh food diet whether it's cooked meat or raw meat is more digestible than a dry kibble and often is more digestible than a canned diet too. And so there are some animals that do do very well on anything you feed them. Dry, canned, raw, cooked, it doesn't matter. They're easy keepers. And I have other patients that need a consistent diet and a diet that has a low water content because otherwise they get diarrhea. Mm-hmm. And so feeding that dog a dry food actually is the best match for that individual. Right. But I've also had 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 patients and, and worked with dogs who need a more digestible diet, whether it's um, 
whether it's a cooked meat diet or a raw meat diet, that's just the best individual, you know, for that individual, that's the best diet match. So I look at if everything's equal, what does that animal need? Can we feed them anything as long as it's balanced or do they need a very specific diet um, to meet their individual dietary needs? That makes perfect sense, and and we're unfortunately running out of time. But um, yeah. I think the <laughs> most important no, it's all it's, all, it's it's fantastic. I think the most important thing that I'm hearing, and I, I heard you say it a couple of different times, is it's a, it's all about the individual dog, and which means you need to have a great relationship. You need to communicate with your veterinarian yeah. because clearly they're going to be able to help to steer you uh, in the right direction. And it's and you know if we just go blind leading the blind, it's it's could be a problem. But I want to thank you so much for your time today, Doctor. And then can I add? Can I yeah. add one more thing? Of course. And I would, the one, the one thing I would add is when, you know, because I, I, I probably didn't answer your question very clearly on how to pick diets, but, you know, if you, if, if an owner's at a, at a pet store, at a boutique store, and something just looks fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely, if your dog is healthy and you don't have any restrictions, try it and see how your dog does for, give it, I usually give it three to four weeks. After three to four weeks, if they're still looking good, if they're still acting, you know, fine, rambunctious, playful, their stools are normal, their coats look good, continue another for another month. After about three months, you'll start to notice if the coat starts looking not as lustrous and maybe even take before and after pictures, mm-hmm. or if you have any issues with stool, then that's not the right diet. And what I've, for that individual, and what I've come across in practice is owners who get um, very attached to a particular diet line. Mm-hmm. or feeding style, whether it's home-cooked or a particular brand of dry food, uh, something they find at the store, they get attached to that brand, but their animal's not doing well on it. So I would say always come back to how your how your dog dog is doing. And if they're normal stool, you know, it's completely balanced, normal stool, happy, healthy, they look fantastic, then um, I would say continue, they don't, don't change what's working. Yeah, I, you know what? What I just love about what you just shared is you're basically saying, "Let's set up an experiment. Let's be scientific about it. Let's exactly. Analyze the data. I love that. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much yeah. for coming on, Doctor. You're Wheaton. welcome. Really important stuff for us to hear. Gosh, I wish we could have spent the entire hour with you, um, but you know, time is what it is. I hang tight, pet lovers. In the next segment. Uh, we're going to dig around a little bit more into the, uh, these all these pet food things that are going on out there, the latest science that's driving changes out there, and also going to talk to a pet parent who herself has been digging into uh, experimenting with pet and ha- her pets and how she's feeding them and some changes that have made big differences in their lives. Hang tight. We'll see you in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 
Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, my fellow pet lovers. Today, we are digging into the science of pet food. Now, like I said in the previous segment, it is a very personal choice. It's a lot like what we feed ourselves and the other humans that are in our families. Every one of us has really strong opinions about what's right and what's wrong for us and our family to eat. And for me, it's not just uh, it's not just about what looks good on the feed, on the shelf. It's not just what somebody has said, oh my God, this is the best food. It's about being knowledgeable about what I'm putting into my body and what I'm putting into my family's body. Not just blindly trusting what somebody has said, hey, this is good for you. I'm a really firm believer in research testing, using the scientific method, what like what Dr. Weath was talking about just a moment ago, about working to truly determine what works best for you, for your body, and what's good. And that same goes true for how we approach feeding our dogs. And our next guest embodies this approach. Uh, her, her name is Kimberly Gautier, and she's a dog nutrition blogger. Her her blog is called Keep the Tail Wagging, and it's a blog about raw feeding. Kimberly, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. And I know that a lot of our listeners are probably really curious how one gets started down the path of raw feeding. Now, I I read your blog. I know a lot of the backstory with your dogs, uh, and it's filled with in-depth research, which I really love. So tell us a bit about that. Tell us specifically about those resources and background stuff that first led you to start experimenting with raw feeding. It's it's funny because um, I actually... It's hilarious that raw feeding has been around for decades. I mean, it's older than kibble is. And I had never heard of it until uh, probably two years into my dog's life of trying to understand why my dog has such bad allergies and what I can do better. And my boyfriend and I went to dinner with some friends, and they were like, oh, yeah, we just feed our dogs raw chicken. And I was just like, what, what? And they're like, oh, yeah, we just go to the store. We buy a whole raw chicken. We throw it in the yard. And all their allergies went away. They're super healthy. The vet can't believe it. They're not on medications anymore. They're acting like puppies again. 
And that was my first introduction to Roth feeding. And when I think back to that, I laugh because that is like the worst way to feed raw to a dog is to tell someone to go to the store and get a whole chicken, which we all know a whole chicken doesn't have all of the pieces to it. It's just the meat and the bone and feed it to their dogs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At the time, I didn't know. And I wasn't prepared to do something like that. So I started doing homework because I'm a blogger. And fortunately, you know, because of the blog, I have access to a lot of resources that the average person may not realize that they have access to. So um, I reached out and found a veterinarian in the Midwest who's very a huge proponent of raw feeding and started picking her brain and contacting raw brands and talking to them. And um, it probably took me about six months of just talking to people and becoming more comfortable before I finally made my first raw meal. And it was a complete disaster. All of my dogs got sick. They had diarrhea for two days. And um, I got the recipe from someone who was a raw feeder and a, you know, quote unquote, canine chef. And what I didn't understand was, one, I had every protein known to man in this recipe. And it was way too rich. It wasn't balanced. But, um, and it was expensive. I probably spent over $100 on this meal. Oh, and, my gosh. <laughs> for four dogs. <laughs> At the time, it was just three dogs. Oh, wow, it's worse. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I realized, okay, so that's not the route for me to go because I couldn't afford that. And I got on the phone to a local company here, Darwin's Pet, and I still remember the day I was standing on the tarmac getting on the Sounder train heading up north to Everett, and they called me. And this woman was so amazing and just basically talked me through the entire process, what I needed to know, what was in the food, why the food worked. And um, I signed up right there, and my dogs ate Darwin's for a year until I became more comfortable with raw feeding and knew that I could actually provide a balanced meal for my dogs on my own. Well, I'm really glad that you're you're stressing that it is not just about throwing a raw chicken into the yard, because as one of our guests was was talking about, uh, Dr. Weath, it's about being complete and balanced. And she was also stressing that at the core, it's important to remember that these dogs are individuals. They are all different, and there isn't one meal fits all that really truly fits every single dog. Now, reading your blog, I know that you have some pups with some really tricky issues, and that you've actually done a lot of experiments to find just the right combinations for each dog. And I'm specifically thinking about some posts you've done about Rodrigo and all of his protein allergies. Can you tell us a little bit about the experiment that you did to find the best protein option for him? It was as easy as, you know, basically trying out a protein for a week and then um, seeing how he does. And fortunately for me, Rodrigo, if a protein doesn't work for him, his body lets me know right away. And he Mm -hmm. um, has really severe... GI issues, so digestive issues, up the yin-yang um, when a f- protein doesn't work for him. And basically what I did is I knew that he did fantastic on Darwin's the entire time we were on Darwin's. And what I found over time was that, you know, for him, he can't have chicken. He actually can't have um, any poultry except for duck. But one thing I learned was that it really depends not only just the protein, but the source of the protein as well. So I have to be very particular about where he gets, you know, where I buy his food from, which is why I've sort of um, drifted away from a lot of pre-made raw brands and make it on my own, especially for him. 
but um, it is. It's just, you know, I have a calendar, and I would basically do a poop watch, and, you know, this is how his poop looks today, and this is, and so I can get a track of, okay, well, his poop becomes soft and very um, light in color and, you know, huge when he's on these proteins, but it's perfectly fine, and he'll never have, you know, quote-unquote raw-fed poop, which is basically you have a big dog that's pooping, you know, out the size of cat poop. He'll mm-hmm. never have that because of his GI issues, but, right. you know, he will have healthier poop than what he had on kibble. So when his poop starts looking more like what it looked like when he was on kibble, when he um, seems hungry all the time, when he has a lot of gas and, you know, just intestinal issues, then I know that he's not doing well on a protein. And mm-hmm. one thing that I love about raw is that I can adjust immediately rather mm-hmm. than, you know, throwing out a bag of kibble and starting all over again. Right. And you, and that, and you just mentioned you're mostly doing home raw now, correct? Right. You make it all at home. And, and, and like you said before, it's not just about slump, slapping a bunch of chicken and steak into the bowl and calling it a meal. It's You go to great lengths to create a really balanced diet for your dogs. I've seen some of the videos you've done where you're creating a meal. It's quite, quite a production. So tell us yeah. about a typical meal production. What goes in the bowl? How do you get there? What kind of tools are you using? Oh, yeah. And actually, today, is um, when I finish here, I'll be starting my process today. Um, but I basically have a wonderful meat grinder that I'm still so in love with because it does so well. It grinds meat and bone. Um, but today, I'll be making duck. It won't be an entirely duck meal, but, you know, that's where the base is. It's duck wings. I'll be grinding up 40 pounds of duck wings. I'm an accountant by day, so I love numbers, and I do the math to make sure that I can get the 80% muscle meat, 10% bone, 10% um, organ meat. And what I'll do is I will – there's actually a website that tells you um, how much muscle meat is in a duck wing versus the bone. And you start from there and you blend everything together. Ultimately, you know, most raw feeders try and balance their dog's diet over time. Is not always – Um, possible to balance every single meal, but I always tell people don't worry about it. I mean, we as humans don't eat a balanced meal every single meal, so it's not the end of the world if our dogs don't, but I try to get as close as possible with my dogs, and so um, it may not be work out to be 80-10-10 when I'm finished, but it'll be pretty darn close. And what kind of, like you do a veggie mix and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I um. I still. It's it's funny because we've all, many of us, have this discussion in the raw community about whether or not vegetables are necessary. Some feel that it's just filler. Dogs don't need it. They're not getting any benefit out of it. While while others look at vegetables as um, a much needed source of nutrients because you know the soil is degrading and becoming less nutrient rich, and the animals who are eating the grass that are grown from that soil, you know, is basically filtering all the way to our dog's, you know, dish. So mm-hmm. adding the vegetables is just basically giving them another source of nutrients. So if it's not going to hurt them, then, it, you know, it's going to help them. However, you know, a lot of um, prey model raw feeders, and basically that means that people who don't add in vegetables and fruit to their dog's diet, you know, feel that this is, you risk um, pancreatitis by adding you know, vegetables to your dog's meal. So um, one thing that I found is just basically doing my own research and figuring out, okay, is this safe, is this not safe, is to continue doing the 80-10-10 ratio of meat, bone, and organ meat. 
and then adding vegetables on top of that, sort of like as a food topper, rather than some people, they'll reduce the amount of muscle meat they'll add to their dog's food and replace it with vegetables. I don't believe that that's right for my four dogs. And so, mm-hmm. but yeah, I make a vegetable mix that's mixed with organic vegetables, bone broth, um, and a few supplements that are all natural and mix it into my dog's meals every day. Oh, fantastic. I, yeah, I've seen your the mixes. It, it's not a pretty looking mix, but it looks like it's super yeah. healthy. <laughs> One of the the concerns that often is out there, in fact, Dr. Weath brought it up, is about safe handling of meats. And there there are really a lot of pathogens that can be found in raw meat, salmonella, uh, campylobacter, E. coli, staph, those just a few of them. So how do you mitigate those legitimate risks to produce, to protect not only the health of your dog, but also you and everybody else that lives in your house? Well, you know, I think one thing that I do is I bring meat home, it's frozen. So it comes from the farm or from the meat processing place or, you know, from, I don't know, what else do I get? The different places that I get it, like I get sardines from the Oregon coast, it's flash frozen right after they're caught. Everything comes to my house frozen rather than bringing it home thawed and then freezing it for a few weeks and hoping that um, I've killed the bacteria off. And then when I'm making food, I actually thaw it out just a little bit and I start mixing up meals with meat that's partially frozen. And that's just my comfort level. It's easier to handle and deal with. And I'm, by the time I'm finished making food, my hands are pruny and dry because I wash my hands constantly during the entire process. And then Mm -hmm. when I'm finished, I clean the kitchen from top to bottom, every single thing that I use. You know, my dog's dishes go through the dishwasher. I try and be as clean as possible. There are people out there that are like, oh, no, our dogs can handle the bacteria. You're fine, which I agree with wholeheartedly. I think our dogs, their systems are shorter. Their digestive tract is shorter than ours. So it pushes the meat through or the, and gets the nutri- nutrients out before the bacteria has time to set up camp and cause damage. Of course, Every dog is different. If you have a dog that has a compromised immune system, then, you know, this logic doesn't necessarily, you know, fly. But, right. you know, I figure, you know, why take the risk? I mean, how hard is it for me to wash my hands a few times and stay clean? Well, not just for your dogs, but for you. I mean, like, mm-hmm. we, we, exactly. don't, we don't have some of those safety uh, things that the dog has. I mean, a dog might be able to handle something that maybe does have a little bit of salmonella or something in it, and they might be no worse for the wear. It might be really bad for us. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know that uh, you, you, though you typically make most of your dog's food yourself, you did mention uh, Darwin Foods, but there's a couple other uh foods out there that are commercially made that you use from time to time. And I know that when you're evaluating a new food that comes to market, be it a treat or even the entire meal, you have a really strict criteria. So tell me about that. What do you, what do, you do for that process? Yeah, I've become quite the snob when it comes to raw feeding. And it's, it's actually quite embarrassing. Because most new raw brands, you know, they hear about my blog because I'm one of the few people that writes regularly about raw feeding. So, of course, they want to talk to me about their food. And nine times out of ten, it is not something that I would feed to my dogs or recommend to other people. And the reason why is when I'm looking at a new raw brand, if the only protein they offer are beef and chicken, then I'm already just sort of like, eh, And the reason why is because a lot of dogs have issues processing chicken. Um, Chicken is a really cheap protein to get. And it's sometimes 
the cheapness of chicken and then the cost of the raw food that they're selling don't quite equate. I mean, you're talking about raw, that's, you know, seven, eight, nine dollars a pound versus chicken, which is the cheapest protein on the market. So I'm a little, you know, that's sketchy to me. And then also, you know, a lot of these raw brands are, of course, trying to create a balanced meal to bring to market. And as a result, they're adding um, synthetic vitamins, so which is kind of against the whole reason why we feed raw in the first place. We feed raw because our dogs can get their vitamins and minerals through the meat. And if you have to add in synthetic vitamins, my question is, well, what happened to all the vitamins that are in the meat? Are you right. somehow, um, are you through your processing, what are you doing to kill them off that you have to add in synthetic ones, which are harder for dogs to digest? So um, those are the two things that I'm seeing regularly. And then mm-hmm. less so, I'm seeing people come to market with, you know, quote unquote, proprietary blends. So they don't want to share exactly what's in their recipe, which is another thing that's a huge red flag for raw feeders. The whole reason why we feed raw is because, you know, if one of my dogs gets sick tomorrow, I can tell a veterinarian to the detail every single thing that they've consumed. Mm-hmm. And if I have to count on, a, you know, the secret blend of recipes, then there could be something in there that's causing a problem with my dog and I have no idea what it could be. And right. so um, that's another thing. And unfortunately, because raw is becoming so popular, we're seeing more and more people jump into the raw feeding industry to um, appeal to pet owners who want something more natural, more fresh, and mm-hmm. what they think is going to be healthier for their dogs. And because this is such a great booming industry, pet owners really have to take a step back. And just like they would with any kibble or canned food, they need to do their homework on the ingredients of any new raw brand they come across. Amen. I, I You are preaching to the choir. <laughs> uh, as I'm a marketer myself. I know what marketers do. I know that they're trying to get you to buy stuff. So I really thank you so much for coming on the show, Kim. Um, to tell everybody your blog again so that they can go check it out. My blog is Keep the Tail Wagging. All right, fantastic. Uh, thanks so much, Kim. Coming up next, we're going to talk to an industry insider who has, she's been on the front line of commercial pet food production about getting the proteins into those food. And she's going to tell us about some of the marketing uh, words that you might see used on those dog food labels by manufacturers. She's going to help us navigate those. We'll be right back in just a minute. Hang tight. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Why do some people seemingly make the same mistakes when it comes to love and relationships? What is the best way to find love? 
Make a visit each week to Destination Love. Host Shelley Pumphrey will bring what you need to know to find love. No, it's not about the next fad, dating site tips, scoring the first date, or looking your best. Rather, it's empowerment, knowing that your authentic self works best and the science behind finding love. Destination Love is live Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Voice America Variety. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is Pet Lover Geek with Lorian Clemens. If you'd like to connect with the show today, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? You can also send an email to PetLoverGeek at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome, 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 welcome back. Now, here we are in our final segment. And I feel like I just need to give pet parents, dog parents, just a few more resources on how to really pick the best food to suit your dog's needs. I want to help you a little bit more with specifically those on-the-spot decisions that you're going to make while you're standing in the store aisle, you're evaluating a potential new food or a treat, and you're really just not sure how to read that label. So uh, I've got a guest here today. I'm really excited to have her. Much like Kim in our last segment, she actually got into the pet uh, food arena after having dealt with a dog with allergy issues. And she had limited treat and food options. And so Rebecca Brees, who's my next guest, she joined the pet industry to assist in product development and ingredient selection for a number of pet foods and pet treats that are out there. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Now, um, when a dog parent is standing in that aisle and they're looking at all those fabulous brand new brands that are out there, and there's a ton of new foods that are out there that all promise to be healthier than the other ones, what should they look for when they're reading that ingredient deck? What, what, what does all that mean on the back there? So much like with um, human foods, you automatically go to the ingredient deck when you're looking to buy your cereals and stuff like that. So the big call-out that you want to see is that protein listed as the first ingredient. And why that's important is much like human food, it's listed based on what is the majority down to the smallest, so from weight, biggest to smallest. So I always look for having a protein to be the first ingredient. Most importantly, if you get lucky, a lot of proteins could be the first three. Um, whether it be a beef, chicken, lamb, all good stuff. The second thing I look for is high-quality carbohydrates. Now, obviously, there are some dogs out there that need to be aware of the gluten-free, but if you're looking for a dog that can have a more balanced diet, oatmeal and brown rice are great carbohydrates to be looking for. Mm-hmm. My final thing I'd say is make sure you can pronounce all the ingredients listed on the deck. 
A lot of people will read things and not necessarily know how to say it, but just assume because they sound so fancy that it's good for your dog. If you can't pronounce it, you probably shouldn't be buying it. Right. If if it's if it's probably going to be synthetic, not not always, but a lot of times that might even be synthetic. Um, Absolutely. Tell me. So one of the other things that's listed back there near the ingredient deck is that guaranteed analysis that's all on all dog food uh, and cat food things. It's guaranteed analysis. What's that all about? So a guaranteed analysis is um, similar to nutrition facts that you would find on your human food. Basically what it says is the key things to pick out is the minimum levels at the time of the expiration date that all of your dry matter and water content need to be at. So a couple of key things to look at is that to keep in mind, dry matter refers to after water is removed. So meat proteins are 70% water, according to the FDA. So when you're looking at that, kind of keep that in mind and thinking at it, it's not going to have a high water content. It is going to have a higher dry content because it is a kibble form. The other thing to keep in mind is that when you're looking at the guaranteed analysis, the closest expiration date you are, the lower the levels of um, matter that is going to be in your dog food, nutritional value that's going to be in your dog food. So what you want to keep in mind is maybe buy a dog food that is a little bit uh, farther away from their expiration date than something that's within a month of their expiration date. Not bad. It's just maybe not going to have the nutritional value that you're looking for for your animal. So just like human food, fresher is better. Absolutely. And it's true with kibble. and and, And unfortunately, that sometimes gets forgotten. I mean, I know right. I have some cereal that's a little bit old. <laughs> <laughs> It'll do in a pinch, but you really don't want to do it. Um, Absolutely. So- one thing that I know for shopping for food for myself and also from, frankly, being a marketer, the whole natural, all natural, mm. made from nature, that's all really a bunch of marketing ploy. It's it's no yeah. in no way a guarantee for good quality food. So mm-hmm. when a Pet parents looking at that, I would say, ignore that. But but when they see something that says organic, what does it really mean with uh, dog food? So you're absolutely right. So the interesting thing about dog food is it's regulated by multiple agencies. So, for example, human food is regulated by the USDA. USDA sets the standard for organic food for humans. Now, dog food is controlled by the FDA, and particularly by a group called AFCO. The um, AFCO is not technically a legal governing body. They're an advisory committee that provides outlines that people who produce dog food and treats should follow. Now, certain states get a little bit more serious about these standards, such as uh, California, for example, But a lot of states just kind of go, well, refer to AFCO and and let us know how it goes. Now, the organic piece is interesting because the FDA does not have organic regulations that AFCO puts out for dog food. And so what that means is, is that what they say in their manual is that you need to refer to the USDA outline for organic for human food. So where that gets tricky is is that, of course, human food and dog food don't necessarily use the same type of product. Mm-hmm. And you will not necessarily find organic requirements for things like hearts, livers, for human food. And so it becomes a very quick gray area for dog mm-hmm. food. 
So one thing when you're thinking organic is organic refers to the processing of the product, not the quality. And you Mm. should be buying a product that is processed in a way that adds minimal synthetic ingredients, none preferably, and is also using wholesome ingredients to start with. So foods that aren't necessarily considered quote-unquote organic because they don't feel comfortable making the call out on their label are processed equivalently to those products that are organic or labeled organic, I should say, and therefore are probably cheaper because they don't have the organic call out, whereas the more expensive organic food is equal but more expensive. Got it. Organic refers to processing, not product quality, and not necessarily anything that is a firm, you know, marketing call other than a marketing call out. And it, it kind of is frustrating a little bit. Now, the USDA is looking into with the FDA on uh, tightening up those standards to actually come up with an organic layout. But unfortunately, that isn't on their docket for the 2017 year. So we probably won't even see anything out on the market until 2018. And it typically takes two to three years um, for any sort of regulations to go into effect. So it's a little bit wild west right now with the whole organic thing in the pet, pet food industry is what I'm hearing. Yeah, it is. It's, it's nothing short than a, a marketing ploy and an, unfortunately being able to add a few more dollars to the, uh, the, price, you know, tag. the price tag. Yeah. And another thing that I know, you know, you mentioned, you know, if you can see three ingredients being uh, listed as protein, that's going to be a better. But one of the things that I think is really confusing about protein listing is that sometimes you'll see something like chicken meal or beef meal or, you know, meat byproduct. What what does all that mean? Sure. So byproducts is kind of the, the dirty word of the pet industry, I think. Um, and the interesting thing is, 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 to be honest, the pet industry, we've done this to ourselves. Um, you know, there's been a lot of um, poor choices made in ingredient selection. And I would say with confidence, in the last 10, 15 years, um, AFCO has stepped in, USDA, more importantly, has stepped in and um, regulated that. So where the USDA comes back in is that all protein that goes into pet food today has to start off at a USDA-approved facility. And what that means is, is that your food, human food, is goes through your steaks, your chicken cutlets, all go through a USDA facility. It's very stringent. They check everything. What a lot of people don't realize is that your pet food, which comes from the same locations as your steak and your chicken cutlets, also goes through a USDA grading system and has certain requirements that they need to meet. So when you're looking at byproducts, the reason why they aren't more specific for call-outs is actually because of people being uncomfortable with writing exactly what is in the pet food, thinking that consumers will get grossed out. So byproducts mean hearts, livers, lungs, um, sometimes spleens, salivary glands. Now, livers and hearts, people are becoming more okay with. We've seen this with the raw pet food movement. Some of the other organs, people are still trying to understand what those products are and what kind of nutritional value they'll bring. A lot of people, when you say these things, they kind of have a panic attack and they think, oh my gosh, that's horrible, it's gross, you know, this is Freddy versus Jason kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. when you're looking at this, though, instead, what the pet industry needs to do is be honest to the consumer and say, listen, this is exactly what is in it. 
it's okay to still buy this product. And I think there'll be a gray area in the middle, but I think once we move past that, they'll get more specific and start labeling instead of saying buy products what it is. Right. Now, and to another... clarify what... Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say one thing that you can, since that's probably a far ways off, but buy products are not. They aren't hooves, they aren't hair, they aren't nails, and condemned animals, and that means animals that have deceased before the processing process are not included in the pet food process. That's very good to know, because I think a lot of people sometimes think that all that stuff is there, and it's it's absolutely not. One other uh, not. marketing ploy that I know that you can speak to uh, um, is, you know, a lot of brands, they want to put a U.S. flag on the package <laughs> because yeah. that, that idea that this is processed or made or this belongs to the United States, and it's not an imported product is really important to people. But yeah. There's a lot of recalls lately, and people have really, really scared about things that might be linked to China, particularly with a lot of the chicken treats that came out a few years ago. So tell mm-hmm. our listeners how to be discerning here, because there's a big difference between fully made in the USA and packaged in the USA. Absolutely. So I know that we only have a couple minutes left. So <laughs> as, you, as you said back, um, it was back a little ways, uh, China had some treats that came into the U.S. that killed quite a few dogs and actually sickened humans as well. And one thing that was uh, kind of a huge spotlight went on is that people realized that a majority of their pet food and pet treats were actually being processed outside of the U.S. And uh, after that happened, major retailers made a big, huge thing, we are only buying USA products. Unfortunately, though, a lot of those retailers that had had these low-bottom prices were quickly realizing that they couldn't necessarily get USA products taking into account USA wages versus international products. And so they couldn't have those bottom dollar prices and therefore could not um, supply the products that they thought. So they kind of came up with some fine print. And basically what a, a lot of things, and one of the biggest things that I say to a lot of people is you can put on your bag if you have packaged or you have 50% of your ingredients are from the U.S., you can put made in the USA. Now, that Mm. 50% ingredient has become somewhat of a gray area. It could mean 50% of your packaging material, 50% of your actual ingredients in the product. So So that's really important to know for a... For a, for a consumer that you got to be eyes wide open when you're coming in because there's a lot of marketing that's used out there. And Rebecca, I hate to cut you off because we have some yeah. great stuff that you're giving us, but we were literally out of time. So we're going um, to wrap up today. Thanks so much for being here today. Uh, like all the topics we have here, we could be doing this all hours and hours and hours. I, I want to thank so much, Dr. Uh, Lisa Weath and Kimberly Gauthier and you, Rebecca, for joining us on the show. Next week, please come back with our bathroom special. We're going to be doing a lot of potty talk, and I'm not even joking about it. Uh, Come back next week to Pet Lover Geek. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in this week for Pet Lover Geek. Please join your host, Lorian Clemens, for another edition next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go grab your best friend and take them out and enjoy the rest of your weekend.